Well, welcome to Coffeehouse Questions. This is Ryan Polly. Now, on the show, we normally take time and we're discussing different ethical, theological, and cultural ideas that are impacting us today, but we don't often take the time to discuss the people that started these ideas, the classic Christian thinkers that kind of came before us and it provided the foundation for so much of that we talk about today. And and we can't often, or we can't forget about these people, and we often do. And so today, uh, we are actually going to be discussing church history and classic Christian thinkers. We're going to spend the next two weeks on this. And joining me is philosopher and theologian Kenneth Samples. He has a great passion to help people understand the reasonableness and the relevance of Christianity's truth claims. He is a senior research scholar at Reasons to Believe and has authored several books, including uh, The Christian Endgame, Seven Truths That Changed the World, God Among Sages, and the one that we're talking about today titled Classic Christian Thinkers and Introduction. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. Hi, Ryan. It's a real pleasure to be with you again. Absolutely. Yeah. Ken, uh, join me. It was two years ago, March of 2017, where we discussed logic and critical thinking and then responding to logical fallacies. And back then I mentioned that he was actually my professor for my logic class at the Biola Talbot program. So I had the chance of uh, learning under him and now uh, being able to support his work and uh, continue learning from him. So uh, it's a great privilege and honor. And again, as always... Uh, you are from Reasons to Believe, and my listeners should be very aware of what Reasons to Believe does, as most of the scholars have been on my show. So thank you guys also for what you do uh, with that ministry and helping make Christianity reasonable. Well, I appreciate the work you do. You do some really fine work, and uh, so it's a real honor to be on your podcast and to see how the Lord's using you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So so we have this new book on classic Christian thinkers that you've put out. Uh, when did it come out exactly? It came out uh, March 1st of this year, 2019. So it's just been out a couple months. Okay, awesome. And uh, some great endorsements. I loved reading through this where you cover some incredible people, and we're going to talk about some of those people. But why is it exactly that you have decided to take some time at kind of at an apologetics organization and uh, science apologetics too? But I know you're not the scientist there. You're the theologian and the philosopher um, and, and write a book on church history and classic Christian thinkers. Yeah, thank you for asking that. I, I am the oddball on the RTB Scholar team. I'm, <laughs> I'm the only one that uh, is not a scientist. So what's often interesting, Ryan, is um, because of my training in philosophy and theology, I often ask different questions than my colleagues, which I think is great because I learn from them. I hope that they learn from me. One of the reasons I wrote this book was my boss, Hugh Ross, often he's kind of coined the expression new reasons to believe, kind of looking at the new scientific wrinkles of Big Bang cosmology, the cosmological argument, or uh, design, fine-tuning in the universe. Well, in some respects, my book kind of looks at what I would call the old reasons to believe. These are the traditional arguments and reasons to believe. And I, the reason that I wrote the book is I believe that uh, church history is filled with with so many great Christian thinkers, and they have been so important to me in my life. Uh, I view them as mentors. I view them as friends. Um, to me, they are people who, who are alive because they share the same faith that I do. When you write this and you kind of are presenting these different people and sharing kind of the, the, the um, 
the what they presented. What what has led to kind of your passion for these defenders? I know you kind of say that they're mentors. Uh, what did, was there something that kind of sparked your initial interest in these in these thinkers? Yeah, I think it goes back a long way. When I was, uh, I, I grew up kind of a nominal Catholic. I, d- I didn't really have a clear understanding of Christianity or Catholicism. But when I was first in college, um, I became very interested again in my faith, and I began studying philosophy. I left the Catholic Church and began attending kind of a an evangelical charismatic church. But Ryan, I noticed almost immediately that I... I really kind of had a struggle. The struggle was that at church, we never talked about reason. And in at college, we never talked about faith. And I kind of began to feel like, wow, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I'm, I don't fit in because uh, at church, I'm this very rational person. And then in my studies of philosophy, I am given to faith. And it was uh, a teacher of mine at Cerritos College who said, Ken, you, uh, you need to read St. Augustine. You need to read Thomas Aquinas. You, you, need, you need to go back and read some of the great thinkers who affirmed both faith and reason. And that was really kind of the beginning of me recognizing what a p- powerful resource church history could be, historical theology. And uh, so I, I look at these individuals as people who have so much to teach us today. And, you know, I was at Biola one year teaching a, a class and I asked the students and there must have been, boy, uh, 60 students in class. And I said, tell me who your favorite Christian thinkers are. And of course, the, the typical names came up. Uh, J.P. Lewis, <laughs> uh, J.P. Moreland, William Lane Craig, Hugh Ross. And then I said, well, give me the older guys. And they said, C.S. Lewis. And I said, is there anybody before C.S. Lewis? And I couldn't, <laughs> nobody came up with anybody. Really? Uh, I think that, uh, I, I think a lot of times we, we fail to appreciate how important these classical Christian thinkers are. And again, what helped me was, um, you know, I, I think evangelicals, and I wrote this book primarily for my evangelical friends. I, if some Catholics and Orthodox want to read it, uh, I'm, I'm happy for that, but I wrote it largely for my evangelical friends. And I think a lot of evangelicals, uh, you know, we often talk about you need to know what you believe, you need to know why you believe it. But I think I'd go a step further. A lot of my evangelical friends don't know how we came to believe what mm-hmm. we Wow. They don't know that the Trinity had to be hammered out. The doctrine of the incarnation was challenged and had to be worked through. And the way I try to introduce people to church history is by giving them biographies, telling them these are people mm-hmm. and they had a dyna- dynamic faith the way you and I do. And I think it's also amazing to see that even these Christian thinkers that you mentioned in the book, they also went back to people before them. So, you know, we we argue about Calvinism and Arminianism today. This obviously kind of mostly coming from John Calvin, but even the idea of predestination didn't start with him. And he drew on thinkers before him. And so uh, maybe sometimes it almost seems like we are the ones coming up with a lot of this stuff or, you know, oh, man, look at all these smart things that we're doing and not recognizing of who we are drawing off of and giving kind of respect where it's due oftentimes. That's that's a great point. Uh, yes. I mean, 
Think about uh, just one quick example. Think about all of the thinkers that are dependent upon St. Augustine. It's true of Luther and Calvin and Cramner. It's true of Anselm and Thomas Aquinas and Blaise Pascal. So all of them are looking back and looking for that strength and encouragement in church history. Now, I'm curious, kind of before we get into why church history is important, is if you have any answer whatsoever as to why the kind of the evangelical Christian church has gone away from church history into kind of the more modern Christian age or whatever you want to kind of consider that we're focused on what's happening on the here and now. That's a really good question. I, I have two thoughts on that subject. Um, I think in one sense, um, when evangelicals think about theology, they think about theology almost exclusively in terms of Bible study, uh, biblical theology. And, and that's surely a solid foundation for Protestantism. But theology is larger than that. Um, you know, once the apostles died and the canon was complete, then you have all of the formation of the councils, the creeds and heresies and all of these kinds of things. So I think in one sense, Sola Scriptura has been very successful and lots of evangelicals think about Bible study, but they don't realize that all of these other scholars were studying the Bible as well. I think a second reason, Ryan, is because many evangelicals view their faith in very personal terms. Now, I'm not knocking that. I'm not criticizing that per se. I had a dramatic conversion to the faith. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I've had some powerful religious experiences. But I think we need to appreciate that Christianity is broader than just your experience and my experience. It is a historic movement that has affected especially the Western world, but most of the world. Yeah. And so we don't often think of it as a historic movement that uh, is has changed the world. Absolutely. That is a great point. Now, so going into why is studying the church history so important? Now, I have one reason. I think it's very different than yours, and so I'll share mine after yours. I want to hear what you have to say. But why would you say, hey, we need to take a step back and we need to look at some of this church history? Yeah, the, one historian said that, um, he said that uh, while uh, we don't live in the past, the past lives in us. Uh, I mean, anytime you have a conversation about the person of Jesus, anytime you talk about the Trinity, anytime you talk about Jesus's death on the cross, uh, all of these doctrines have a historical past, a historical context. And I would also say, and I quote this uh, in my book, one scholar says that for a Christian not to understand church history is like a person without a memory. Hmm. I I believe, and I'm willing to defend this, I mean, we've got some really good apologists today um, who I've learned a lot from and I appreciate and I respect. I'm not sure, though, there's anybody alive today who is better than some of the people of the past. I think that Christianity just has a, a powerhouse of the past. And so uh, I don't think there's any real new issues today that Christians of the past have not addressed in, in one way or another. And so I see it as a library, an archive that we should uh, tap into. And, uh, you know, um, it could be that uh, we can learn lessons even from the mistakes that were made in the past. And I might also say that the nine thinkers I talk about, none of them are perfect. They're all flawed. 
Uh, I even mentioned some of their challenges and some of their difficulties. So learning from the great Christian thinkers doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they said or everything they did. Yeah, and it's it's amazing at what you just said of how uh, there's almost nothing new under the sun. And, and even reading through this and reading about uh, Athanasius and his defender defending of Christianity back in like the third century of of the divinity of Jesus. And it's the same arguments that I use today with Jehovah's Witnesses, and we might talk about that a little bit uh, next week. But uh, these arguments that are being presented today is here's how we know that Jesus is God. He was given almost 2,000 years ago uh, as he was defending okay. against uh, Christ- Christological heresies. Um, yeah, so my argument for why church history is so important is, uh, this may appeal to the single people, is it might get you a wife. No, <laughs> I say that I say that because actually on my first date with my current wife, uh, my wife right now, um, we sat down and we were talking on the first date, getting to know you, and I mentioned something about Christianity, and she mentioned something about church history. And I said, how do you know about church history? And she goes, well, I've been taking a church history class at my church. And I went, Oh my goodness, you are amazing. <laughs> well, that hey, first date led to marriage now. So, uh, I like but it. I was blown away. I was blown away. And and what was even cool uh cool is just just yesterday, so she teaches the elementary class uh at church and just yesterday she was teaching them about Anselm, one of the classic Christian thinkers that you have here. And the kids loved it. And so that's wow. all, one thing that I love and so obviously I've joined her church and one thing I love about my church, but um it just blew me away as as a Christian guy wanting a godly Christian woman. And you know, here on our first date, she starts breaking down church history and talking about things. I was like, who are you? <laughs> well, so you I never... like that. That's a, that's a great report. I, I'd like to meet her someday. Yeah, that's... absolutely. So, yeah, you never know how church history might affect your life. <laughs> well, so we are talking again with uh, Ken Samples from Reasons to Believe on his book, Classic Christian Thinkers. Uh, this week, obviously, looking at the importance of church history here in the beginning, we're now going to kind of jump into some of these classic Christian thinkers that he discussed. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the practical application of some of their theological ideas and how we're still kind of dealing with those and discussing those today. So, uh, so Ken, jumping into the content, um, who are the nine scholars that you chose for the book, and why did you choose them out of all the people that you could have yeah, well, it, it wasn't easy to settle on nine. Um, maybe nine reflects my interest in baseball. I used to play baseball, so I was kind of the manager making a lineup, if you will. Uh, the, the Christian thinkers that I address, uh, the first three are ch- Christian church fathers. So typically in the West, we think of, of the era of the church fathers as being from uh, the second until the sixth century. Uh, and so I address Irenaeus, Athanasius, and Augustine. Then I shift to the Middle Ages, and I address two very important Catholic thinkers and philosophers, uh, Anselm and Thomas Aquinas. I then move forward to the time of the Protestant Reformation, and I address the two Protestant thinkers that I think are the most important. I address, of course, Martin Luther and John Calvin. Then moving uh to the age of uh, scientific enlightenment, I address Blaise Pascal, who's a remarkable thinker, and I close the book with the only 20th century thinker, C.S. Lewis, and I call Lewis a classical thinker because he's the one who taught me for every modern book you read, to read two old books. And so the idea there is that uh, he really appreciated the classical context. Now, why did I pick the ones I did? For a couple reasons. One, because I have 
uh, a real appreciation for these nine thinkers. They are kind of personal uh, favorites of mine. Um, I think another reason, though, I wanted to kind of address the breadth of Christian history, uh, and I wanted to pick individuals that had significant things to say, not just about theology, but philosophy and apologetics. And so uh, there were a number of others that I had thought about including, uh, but because of time constraints and uh, those kind of things, I, I didn't include them. Um, but there are there are literally hundreds of others that I could have included who have had just a remarkable influence on history. Yeah, and I and I love the the breadth as again just opening the book and seeing the the very first person. I was actually surprised as you kind of mentioned who these guys were, um, even kind of how little I knew. Um, you know, there's a, names that you often hear, like Irenaeus, Athanasius, and Augustine, but not remembering exactly when they lived, uh, what was significant at that time period. And so that was very interesting uh, to kind of see that that broad scope throughout history and how Christianity has kind of been affected by that. Now, again, this is a very brief introduction, right? So you're only spending, uh, looking at the table of contents here, you're spending about, about 20, 20 or so pages on each guy. Um, so again, it's a very brief introduction. Uh, what are kind of the same? What are some of the, the the points that you make about each one of these guys that are important for people to understand? As far as like uh, just the brief overview of each guy, they're not each guy, but uh, what do you focus on in their life? Yeah, one of the uh, one of the goals that I had of trying to in, introduce people to church history was to kind of give them a biography. That is. That is, when I think about Christians, you know, um, when I think about Lewis and Tolkien, for example, oftentimes the more I know about their life, the more I can put their ideas into a proper context. So what I do in the book is uh, I introduce uh, each of these thinkers, where they came from, uh, you know, their significant uh, accomplishments, the books they wrote, um, the ideas that they defended that maybe were rather distinctive for them. I also give kind of a early historical context. You know, what was happening with Irenaeus's time? What, what was the major crisis during Athanasius's period? Uh, and, and so I, I try to also then introduce the books that they've written. I mean, one of the goals that I have for my book is not that a person would just read my book, but they would say, wow, uh, I'm going to try to read Athanasius's On the Incarnation, a classic. Or maybe I've never read St. Augustine's Confessions, or maybe I've never read Luther's uh, Small Catechism or Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion. So I've tried to write the chapters where I introduce the individuals, their key ideas, their accomplishments, I talk about some of the challenges that they've had, and then I introduce these books, these classic books. And so uh, I'm hoping that once you're done reading my book, you'll say, you know what, I want to I'm going to try and read some of these classics of, of Western civilization. Yeah, absolutely. That is good. And uh, I have some of those books on my shelf. I haven't read them, though, so uh, maybe I need to be encouraged as well by that. So we have uh, just about 10 minutes left. And so maybe we can focus on one, maybe two, uh, depending on how quick we go, uh, of these thinkers and how they impacted uh, kind of modern Christianity. So who would you pick if you could only focus on maybe one right now? We'll see if we can get to a second one of how they influenced uh, modern Christianity. 
I, I one that jumps out at me uh, when I was baptized in the early 1960s. I was baptized at St. Athanasius Catholic Church in Long Beach, California. And on the front door, it said Athanasius Contra Mundum. Uh, Ryan, I've always kind of viewed my ministry in the spirit of St. Athanasius. He was a extraordinary theologian. He battled the Arian heresy. Uh, in many ways, he kind of almost single-handedly fought the Arians to a draw. Um, Athanasius defended the deity of Christ. He defended the deity of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he defended the, the doctrine of the Trinity. And there is a, a historical statement that was made of him that the Arian bishops, and there was a time where Arianism was, uh, you know, ascending and it looked like it looked like Nicene Christianity may lose out to the Arian heresy, which is essentially a denial of the full deity of Christ. But the Arian bishops came to Athanasius and they said, Athanasius, don't you know the whole world is against you? And Athanasius kind of quietly and calmly said, is the world against Athanasius? Then it's Athanasius against the world. I think it's so critical to read about Christians who would not back down on essential Christian doctrine. When Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, I talk with them about the very ideas that St. Athanasius shared with them. So Athanasius is, in my opinion, probably the most honored Christian in church history. He is a considered a saint in the Catholic and Orthodox traditions and Protestants. Uh, he's one of the greatest church fathers. And so here's not only an individual you can learn from theologically, apologetically, but you can learn from him in terms of his Christian character. And that's one thing that you mentioned here at the beginning of the book is you talk about, uh, you mentioned two words, uh, maybe that maybe people don't understand as well, but uh, three specifically, you mentioned orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and apologetics. Uh, and can you kind of explain those really quick and, and how church history helps us understand those three important uh, terms in Christianity? Yeah, very good. Um, well, when we talk about orthodoxy, we're talking about the essential Christian doctrines and teachings. And so we're dealing with things that, like the doctrine of the Trinity, like the two natures of Christ, his divinity and humanity, like the atonement, the resurrection. Um, these are issues that are taught in the New Testament, but they're kind of fleshed out. They're challenged and reinforced in church history. And so it's going back to things like councils and creeds. So church history can, again, reinforce uh, our belief and get us back on the track in which all Christians embrace orthodoxy. Uh, when we when we deal with uh, orthopraxy, I mean, uh, how do we live out our faith? How do we live out our faith when it's challenged? How do we deal with uh, issues in our life? Uh, I think church history can often teach us about the challenges that we face individually as well as we face collectively as a church and how to live the daily Christian life. And in terms of apologetics, uh, Ryan, if you've never, if you've never taken Thomas Aquinas seriously, if you've never wrestled with St. Augustine, if you've, if you've never been introduced to Blaise Pascal and C.S. Lewis, you're missing some of the brightest bulbs that have ever lived on planet Earth who had a remarkable ability not only to teach the truth, but, but to defend it. And so all of these things uh, our orthodoxy, our orthopraxy and apologetics are, are deeply benefited by studying the 
treasure of church history. And you mentioned with Athanasius uh, the idea of him kind of being against everybody and and being okay with that. Um, I'm trying to. Th- I'm just thinking about our cultural context that we live in today of of how Christians. Um, Maybe this is a bad view that I have, but maybe are unwilling to stand up for Christian faith as much as I think we should. Um, how do you think that we can build more boldness into evangelical Christians today to really stand up, to want to wanna talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses that come to their door rather than, you know, when the door rings, uh, you know, hiding out and, and acting like they're not home or something of that sort? Well, I, I think that, I, I think often Christians want to share their faith. I think they they realize how important it is to be able to communicate Christianity to non-Christians, to share Christian values with uh, Christian culture that may be unchristian or post-Christian. But a lot of times they they lack the experience. I mean, I've talked with dozens and dozens of Jehovah's Witnesses. Sometimes it's been difficult. Sometimes it, it uh, you know has has always challenged me. But I think the more we have those kinds of experiences, and I, and I think as well, if we realize that when we look at church history, there have been times in church history where Christianity did really well. There have also been times in Christian history where the church had challenges and, and real difficulties. And when we look at our culture today, we look at society, we may think, wow, kind of looks post-Christian, or it looks like maybe, we, maybe we've maybe we lost ground rather than gained ground. A lot of times when we go back into church history, it can give us uh, strategies and suggestions. It can, uh, I mean, if Athanasius can stand up to the entire Aryan world, maybe I can invite that Jehovah's Witness into my house, you know, offer him something to drink and say, hey, let's open the Bible together and let's talk about the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's so good. Well, we have about three more minutes. Uh, is there one more of these thinkers that you want to kind of share their impact on Christianity before next week we jump into some of the theological ideas they presented? Well, I, I would briefly introduce um, Blaise Pascal. Um, here is a Christian thinker who lives at the time of the scientific revolution, the middle of the 1600s. He's a founding father of science. He's a remarkable physicist. He makes contributions to mathematics contributions to logic. And in the 1600s, his father is the treasurer for the government of France. So he stay up late counting money, taxes. And Pascal says, you know, if a clock can count the hours of a day, I should be able to come up with a calculating machine. Hmm. And he develops a, a calculating machine in the 1600s. Histor- uh, technology historians say that was the first step toward a computer. Pascal has this dramatic conversion to Christianity, kind of grows up nominally Catholic, and his insights in his book, The Pensées, which is French for thoughts or reflections, I'll tell you, uh, Ryan, I've never read any apologetic writing that is any more powerful, inspirational, insightful. And so here is a Christian who dies at 39 years old, and I think that, unfortunately, Pascal's apologetic is is very very few people know about the kind of contributions he made, and uh, you know here is a guy who's a scientist, he's a philosopher, he's an apologist. Uh, you don't want to miss Blaise Pascal. He has some remarkable things to challenge us and to teach us. 
And I think that most people, if they hear Pascal, they're probably going to just think of Pascal's wager, which we are going to talk about here in the next part. But um, maybe that's the only thing they know about him. And, and they're missing a very rich history like you just mentioned. And that's such a small part of Pascal's apologetic arsenal. Uh, he was, he was a, a very profound theologian, a very profound philosophical thinker. And, and to know that one of the great scientists in the history of the world was a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ ought to encourage all of us. And you mentioned in your book that, uh, as we finished, that uh, the book kind of started as a blog series uh, that you were writing on these different guys. Is there somewhere where they can go and kind of get a, a little taste of what you've written at that blog series? Uh, what's the website? That's right. You can go to reasons.org. I have a blog called Reflections, and uh, there are probably 500 blog articles that I've written uh, that are up there on the Reasons site. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ken, for joining me and discussing the importance of church history in your book, Classic Christian Thinkers, this week. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. And thank you all so much for listening. I encourage you to go over to reasons.org, check out all the work that Reasons to Believe is doing, pick up your own copy of Classic Christian Thinkers, and come back next week for the second part of our discussion. If you've enjoyed today's show, I really would appreciate it if you share it with a friend or family member, or even go over to your podcast listening app and give it a rate. That really does go a long way. This summer is going to be pretty busy, but one thing I'm not doing is I'm not teaching, which means I'm not getting questions from my students for the Question of the Day video series on YouTube. So if you could send in those questions and comments at contact at coffeehousequestions.com, the Coffeehouse Questions Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, at RyanPolly3, or text them in at 714-989-6927, then those videos can keep coming. Have an awesome rest of your day. Sip coffee. Think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly. Guide my way.